Well, welcome to Friends Church on a uh, warm weekend as we worship together. We're glad to see you here. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you've noticed over the last four weeks, actually, we've been in a series on the apostles, that the 12 disciples, the ones who were chosen by Christ to follow him and be part of his inner circle. And it's been an interesting study as we've looked at the characters of these individuals. Last week, we found out that there were several in the group who were fishermen. I like to fish. I like to go up to Lake Erie and I like to, to, to pull in walleye and, and maybe you do too. And, and we found out that these, now we only had fishermen, but actually 33%, four out of 12 of the disciples were fishermen. And they were found in two sets of brothers. Last week we heard uh, James the Greater, who was the brother of John, who we'll hear about later. And this week we're going to hear about Peter. And Peter was the brother of Andrew, who we'll hear about in a few weeks. And so it's a set of brothers, and they're out fishing, and they make up a significant part of the group that were following Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I think fishermen nowadays, I think a real fisherman. I think a man's man. And, and my favorite must-see TV is Tuesday nights on the Discovery Channel. And it's 9 o'clock, and it is Deadliest Catch. I don't know how many of you are Deadliest Catch fans, but this is the story of men's men out on the Bering Sea, up in Alaska, catching king crab and paleo crab so that I can have crab legs when I go out to eat. And these men, they go out and they risk their lives. The really reason it's called Deadliest Catch is this is, is a very dangerous occupation. And if you've watched it, you know. You see those boats in hurricane force winds on the coldest and most crazy seas on earth. It's the craziest times of the year. You see ice packs forming on the top of these boats. These guys climb up with sledgehammers to knock off the ice off the top of the boat because you don't want to be top heavy when one of those big waves comes in the storms because you'll just go right over. And so they risk their lives so that we can have our crab legs. It's very dangerous. In fact, a few years ago, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said it is the most dangerous job in the world as far as fatalities goes. Uh, about 174.1 deaths per 100,000 deaths from commercial fishermen. And very high injury rate, especially on these crab fisher boats. If you are a fisherman on a crab boat, there's almost a 100% chance that you will be injured. It's not, will I be injured? It's, when will I be injured? And so they risk their lives. And they go about their job. But more than just the storylines are the characters. I find the characters of this um, show so intriguing. And you see some of them here. You see the Hillstrand brothers there to the left in the front. Uh, Andy and Jonathan, uh, the, the pranksters, the jokers, the, the fun guys. And, and they're one of the brothers. Uh, there's Sig, uh, Sig uh, what's Sig's last name? Hanson, yes. Yeah, Sig, and his, he's the other one in the front there. Yeah, I, kn I knew. You get it there. <laughs> And his brother, Edgar, Edgar's got his hands in his pockets looking down. And uh, they're on the ship, the Northwestern, the time bandit is the Hillstrands. Back in the left-hand corner, they were formerly on the Cornelia Maria, uh, Jake and Josh Harris. A few years ago, their father, uh, Phil, passed away, and, and that was all documented on the show. And you can see rough-looking guys, tough guys. And if you watch the show, you know these are tough men. They go through, it's physical work, it's hard work, but they're smart men. 
They know how to read the equipment. They know how to read things that, I, that look like a bunch of bleeps on a screen to me. They know where the crab come from and they know where they, they're going. And they follow, and they're businessmen. When they come in with their boatload of crabs, there's like a million dollars worth of crab on a boat. So they gotta take care of them. They gotta know what to do. And so, and so they're, 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 they're interesting men. They're, they're fascinating men. And their crews work hard. But you know, as I did some research and found out, I I realized these men aren't a lot different than some of the descriptions I read of fishermen 2,000 years ago. In fact, here's some words that came up when I was reading about fishermen 2,000 years ago. Shabbily dressed, unkept, vile, often vulgar. You know, if if you watch this show, there's words and there's bleeps. And when things are going wrong, there's like steady bleep, 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 bleep. And you get the real life of these guys as things are going wrong and they're frustrated. But I see some of the same words described 2,000 years ago to what might have been Peter. He might have been up there. Maybe a little younger. Maybe Jake Anderson back in the right-hand corner. A younger guy. But also see some other words I've read when I was researching some fishermen. Hardworking. Patient, strong, good businessmen, courageous. Because if you're on a sea of Galilee, which Peter was, storms would come down, the winds would come down the, the mountains and the hills, and it would, the storms would rage, and we read about some of those in the Bible, and we know it can be dangerous there too. And so we get a sense of what Peter might have been like. Peter might not have been much different than these fellas. What do we know about Peter? Well, we know he is a fisherman. We know he worked and lived around the Sea of Galilee. Him and his brother Andrew were from Bethsaida. And we also know that he was married. And he had a mother-in-law we refer to in the scripture. Was healed, actually, by Jesus. What else do we know about Peter? Well, if you've... You know, I, I'm a little lucky here. Pastor Kevin, the last few weeks, has had Nathaniel and James. And, and there's been like two verses in the Bible about these guys. Peter is mentioned in nine books of the Bible and about 183 verses in the Bible mention Peter's name. So it's tough to narrow down what we want to talk about when we get a sense of Peter and who he is. Peter was the first one to really follow Jesus as far as being a leader. In fact, if you look at the list of of apostles in the scriptures, he's always the first one listed. He is the chief apostle. He's the one that will stand up and when no one else wants to volunteer, he'll be the first one in line. When no one else wants to speak up because Jesus is asking a tough question, he's the first one to say, you are Lord. Peter's the first one also sometimes to put his foot in his mouth. Some say he has a foot-shaped mouth and some of us know that very well too. Peter walked on water. Peter healed people. Peter raised Tabitha from the dead through the power of Christ. What neat experiences. I would would love to have one of those experiences that Peter had. So I wonder, I wonder what Peter was thinking. This fisherman, this tough guy, this rough guy, this smart guy, this businessman, when Jesus came along one day and said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
I wonder if he really knew what he was up for. I, I wonder if he's thinking, all right, cushy job. <laughs> I've been working hard. I get up in the morning. I work all day. I got to go find fish. Some days I can't find fish. All I got to do now is go sit at the feet of the master and learn. I wonder if he's thinking, you know, all my problems are going to be taken care of. All my needs are going to be taken care of. This Jesus, this teacher, uh, certainly he's got a, a foundation that's supporting him or something, you know. Hey, all these things are going to be taken care of. Come follow me. And may, fishers of men have got to be a lot easier than fishers of fish. And so if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, all right, what a deal. I can get out of this. I wonder if he really had any idea what was coming. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, that says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I wonder if when Peter was called, he ever thought of that. I wonder if when Peter thought, what this is going to cost me, what this is going to entail for my life. Yes, some great times. But I wonder if he ever thought, man, what is Christ asking of me? And I wonder this morning as we come to Christ and, and we think about, yes, yes, I want to follow you, Christ. And yes, I want to believe in Christ. And just say the words, just say, yes, Lord. I, yes, Lord, I believe in you and I believe in you and I want to be a child of you. Do we ever think of the cost and what Christ is asking of you and me? Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I think Peter's a lot like us. I think I'm a lot like Peter, and I think you're a lot like Peter. We have our good spots and good days, and we have our bad days. We have the days where I say something brilliant. There's been one or two. And there's those days where I put my foot in my mouth. Many, many more. There have been days where I've stood up and thought, wow, God's proud of me. And there have been days I've gone to bed and I've said, boy, did I blow it. Boy, did I blow it. And all the while, Christ is asking me to come and die and to take up my cross. But in Jesus, listen to this, in Jesus, Peter found someone worth losing his life for. In Jesus, Peter found someone worth losing his life for. And you know what? This cushy job, 11 out of 12 disciples were martyrs. Tradition and history tells us. 11 out of 12 who came to follow a teacher, a seemingly benign call, ended up giving their lives for what God asked of them. And so, I wonder as we look at this, as we look at this this morning, what can we learn from Peter, the one who was called out, the fisherman who gave his life, who said, yes, I will follow you, I will deny myself, I will give all. Well, I, I want to skip all those cool stories, all those stories we talked about, all those stories maybe we read about, and I want to go to almost the last time we see of Peter in the, in the New Testament, in his actions anyhow, and it's in the book of Acts, and it's chapter 12. The books of Act, book of Acts, chapter 12, if you would turn your Bibles there, we'll also have it on the screen. We also have Bibles in the pews there if you want to see it. But this is the next to last time that we see Peter in Acts, and um, He's coming to the end of, of his period of Acts, but certainly much to do in his ministry. 
And he starts off, we start off with this in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover. Let's stop there just a second. Last week, we, Pastor Kevin talked about James the Greater. And James, we ended here pretty much. James was killed. James, here, Herod said, I gotta, I gotta do something about this new sect. I gotta do something, I gotta stop it. Let's cut him off at the head. And so he said, let's take care of James. And it says here, when he saw how much it pleased the people, he arrested Peter during the Passover. So we see that here. This is, and then he, going on, when Herod saw how much it pleased the people, and it says, to pass, place it to Passover, verse four, then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Now, I'm not real good with math. So four squads of four soldiers each is how many? 16. One man, 16 guards. You got that? One man, 16 guards. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public, for, for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. My first thought was, I'll bet Peter wished he was back fishing. <laughs> fishing for fish ended up being a little easier, a little safer than fishing for men. As Peter here is in prison, the Passover, and he's in there for how many days? Passover is seven, maybe it had been eight days during the full time there. And so sometime during this time, he was arrested and he was put in prison. And how many guards? 16 guards. 16 guards were watching him and he's looking at this and, 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 and we see Peter being, being watching. And I said, wow, maybe, maybe I should have been staying fishing. But if there's any point I want you to see here, it's that last verse. But the church, the church prayed earnestly for him. In Acts up to this point, you see the church in prayer in many, many, many occasions. If there's a need, they pray. If there's a, if there's a hurt, they pray. If there's somebody in trouble, they pray. Why? What else are they going to do? Are they going to rally and form a, and, and have a protest? They'll just get arrested. Are they going to write their congressman? A lot of good that'll do. <laughs> How about hiring an attorney? We'll get Peter out of jail by an attorney. I didn't do real good if we tried that. It didn't work with James. What are we going to do when the church is faced with a situation and it looks hopeless and it looks like nothing can come from it? The church prays. And so the church is praying earnestly for him. The church did what the church does best when faced with tragedy, when faced with difficulties. It prays, and it prays together. I quoted Bonhoeffer earlier. He wrote another book, Life Together. And in his book, Life Together, he says this, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members, one for another, or it collapses. You know, maybe someone was asking, why are we wasting our time? It's hopeless. But it's never hopeless until 
the final deed is done. If there's still even a glimpse of hope, and we, but we can't say, God, how are you going to do it? The church gets on its knees and it prays. And it intercedes. It doesn't just pray for me, but it prays for each other. We pray for the needs of each other. We pray for the financial needs of each other. We pray for the family needs. We pray for the, for the, for the salvation, for the spiritual needs of each other. The church comes together. And, that, and they did it, and we do it today. If you come out, come in the back there, you see a prayer list. It's come from the cards that you filled out on Sunday morning. And when you fill that out, people pray during the week. There's people out here in the, in the prayer room that pray during the week. Monday morning, all those prayers that you put down on those cards gets typed up and we take it to staff meeting and we pray over them. I sit on my desk all week and I look at them and I look at them. I see the needs. I see the hurts. I know the ones who has family members that are away from the Lord, who have family members with addiction, who have family members in prison, who have facing financial disaster, who are losing jobs facing cancer, facing other illnesses. We see it and we pray. But the church, that's what the church does. And if it doesn't, it collapses, according to Bonhoeffer. And I think Peter knew this. In fact, where did the church learn it? The church had to learn this activity from someone. It had to be taught to them. And so I think it was Peter and others that taught it to him because I think he's probably thinking back to the times that he saw Jesus pray. He saw Jesus pray in good times and bad times. He said, he was one of the group that would have said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And in fact, if we go back just at the time, you might remember Peter was the one of biggest failures. He denied Christ three times. He said, I don't even know him. But before he did that, Jesus said, Peter, I am praying for you. I am interceding. And that comes right here in Luke chapter 22, 32. He's, Jesus was talking. He says, Simon, Simon, um, Satan has asked to sift you. He's asked, you, he knows your status here. He knows your importance and he wants you. And that's if you're a leader. If you're any kind of a leader, Satan wants you and he wants to lead us. He wants to take the top off. And so he says, he says, Satan wants you, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. This is Jesus to Peter. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Peter had taught them, we pray for each other. We pray for each other in needs. And uh, I love it. It was about 130 years ago, a pastor named Charles Spurgeon preached on this very verse. And he says, when I look at this verse, I see three things. And he says, there's three things. First of all, the prayer of Jesus was prevalent. It was prevalent. It is of utmost importance. Jesus said, I pleaded for you. Peter. I went to God and I said, I said, this is of utmost importance. Peter is a key figure. Peter must not fail. Peter must survive this difficulty. And he goes to God and he says, I pleaded for you, Peter. It says it's also prevenient. It's anticipatory. It's beforehand. You know, like I said, it's never too late until it's done, and, and, and this had not happened yet, and although it may be hopeless, Jesus prayed beforehand. In fact, he says, I have prayed for you, Peter. I have prayed. It's coming, but I have prayed for you. And he says, third, it's pertinent. It was the point. And you know what? It's interesting. Jesus didn't pray that he doesn't deny me. Jesus did not pray, not deny. Jesus prayed, I pray that his faith would remain strong, and that when you're done, he would come back. And so he said, through this, through this difficulty, 
I'm going to pray. And I see this, I see these same three points, and I'm sure the church was praying the exact same way. I'm sure the church was prevalent. I'm sure they were on their knees, and they were saying, God, they were crying out with their hearts, saying, God, we cannot afford to lose Peter. We've already lost James. What happens if we lose Peter? I don't, I can't, you know, God, maybe you've got a plan, but I can just tell you what's on my heart. My heart says, I cannot, I do not understand how we could lose Peter. And it was a plea, it was a prevalence, it was pleading. I think it was prevenient because even though he was arrested, it wasn't the end yet. Even though he was arrested, the deed had not been done. And so they're praying beforehand. We don't know what's going to happen these next few days, but God, we know you're able. And so they prayed beforehand, and I believe it was pertinent. I, th- I believe their prayer was, free Peter. Free Peter. And so we read on the story. Verse 6. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep. <laughs> How do you like that? The peace that comes. Was Peter worried about, I should have been a fisherman? Was Peter saying, oh, what's going to happen to me? I believe Peter was kind of like the three Jewish boys in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were being thrown into the fiery furnace. When they look at Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, they said, you know what? Um, God can save us. God will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. And I think Paul is here saying, you know, God can save me. God will save me. But even if he doesn't. And so he can sleep. He's resting. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Those two soldiers, that means there's 14 more still around. Others stood at the prison gate. Those ones. Suddenly, suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. If my mentor Gary Wright was here, this is where he would say, God showed up. (laughs) God showed up. And it's true. But you know, God was there all the time. God never leaves us or forsakes us. He just chose to reveal himself at this time to Peter. He chose, this is the time to work. I can imagine if I was the angel, if I, and I know that's hard. My mom is the only one that really thinks I'm an angel. But, <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's true. My wife even says that. But, um, but if I was that angel, and this was, I don't know how many days this might have been before, but, uh, but I'd have been there. Okay, God, now? Now? <laughs> I can see God. No, not yet. Not yet. A few hours later, now God? Now God? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Pretty soon it's God. It's, you know, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow? Not yet. And finally, God says, now, now. And the light comes and the angel comes. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. I was reading that and I wondered, why does he have to be quick? Did God say, I can only, I can only delay him for five minutes? You know, you only got five minutes? <laughs> I don't know. But we don't know what God's thinking. We don't know God's plan. We just know when God says quick, we do quick. We obey. When God says slow, we go slow. When God says wait, we say wait. But he says quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision, he didn't realize it was actually happening. You ever get woken up of a deep sleep? And you say, did that really happen or was that a dream? 
That's Peter. They passed the first and the second guard posts. Were they asleep? Did they not see him? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. And came to the iron gate leading to the city. <laughs> and this opened for them all by itself. That Greek word is automatos. Automatos. Automatic. It's like walking into Walmart. The door just opened. <laughs> I can imagine someone was there sitting in the shadows and they saw that gate open and they go, hey, we got a patent that. You know, we, great idea. Gates that just open. Automatos. It just opened automatically. There's no obstacles. I mean, God wasn't going to say, uh-oh, we got him out of prison. What are we going to do now? The gate's locked. <laughs> no, no, no. Peter finally came to his senses. Well, so they passed through the street and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Verse 11, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord, this, he said, this isn't a dream. He said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and for what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Verse 12, and when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. They were still praying. I don't know how many days it was. It could have been two, three, four, five. It could have been up to six, seven days they'd been praying. But they kept praying. The church never gave up. In spite of hopeless circumstances, they said, we will keep praying. We will, it'll be prevalent. We're going to keep crying out to God. It'll be prevenient. We're going to pray because Peter has not been killed yet, so we're going to keep praying. And it's going to be pertinent. God, we want Peter released. Verse 13, and this starts one of the most humorous sections of the Bible. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's at the door! Peter's at the door! <laughs> Didn't even bother opening. He heard, she heard his voice. And of course, their reaction in verse 15, you're out of your mind. They said, when she insisted, they decided it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. <laughs> you know, you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying. But I'm not going to be too hard on these guys. <laughs> I have a feeling if I was sitting in that room and I've been praying for two, three, four, five days and some young girl says, Peter's at the door. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get praying, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think my faith might not have been a whole lot better. 16, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led them out of prison. And then I want you to get this. Tell James, tell James. Now, this is not James the greater who had lost his life. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who along with Paul and Peter had become really the pillars of the church become the leaders there of the church. He says, tell James and the other brothers what happened. And then he went to another place. Tell James. Um, I think there's a couple reasons. There's one reason be, this is good news. You want to let James know I'm safe. The plans can go on. We can keep doing what we're going to do. But I think, I think when there's an answer to prayer, the church celebrates. When an answer to prayer, we want to let everybody know. And I think he wanted to let James know God is a good God. God is a powerful God. God can do anything he wants. 
God proved that the loss of James was not because he was too weak or he wasn't unable to come up with a plan. James, the brother of Jesus, or James, excuse me, James the greater. James the greater's death was not because God was impotent. It was because he said, I am going to allow in my perfect knowledge, my perfect wisdom, that to happen. But if I want Peter free, or if I want anybody else free, I can do it. Go tell James that. And I I just got to believe that James was thinking that over years later when he sat down with his pen and he wrote the book of James, chapter 5, 16. He wrote these words. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This is the same James. The same James that Jesus, that, that Peter said, go tell, is sitting down to write. And he's writing about prayer. and He's writing about healing. And he's saying, you know, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And I can't imagine anything other than him writing that with a little smile. Saying, yeah, I remember Peter. (laughs) I remember Peter. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. All this is to say that Peter proves that God hears our prayers and moves in lives in response to those prayers. Peter proves that God hears our prayers and moves in lives in response to those prayers. If the prayer of a righteous person creates wonderful results, what does a prayer of a church united create? What does the prayers of a church interceding create? Peter proves that God hears our prayers, or hears our prayers, church, and moves in lives in response to those prayers. Now, James dies, Peter lives. Someone dies of cancer, someone's healed. God, how do you, how do you work all that out? Paul has a thorn in the flesh, he prays for, and God says no. But, but God works in the ways that he chooses. I don't know the answers. I don't know everything, but I do know what I know. And I know what I've been told, and I can only act on what I know. And I know what James said about the prayers of a righteous person. I also know what James says in 5, 13 through 15. He says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I said 11 out of the 12 disciples ended up being martyred. Peter, he was saved here, but tradition tells us years later under the Rule of Nero, he was crucified and not worthy to go die the same way his Lord did. He said, crucify me upside down. So God, sometimes, Peter in this case, he rescues, another time he didn't. But he does say, whatever, you keep praying. You keep praying. And James tells us to come and pray and let the elders pray with you and let them anoint you with oil. 
And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So this morning to close with, we're going to ask the elders, pastors to come up. And we're going to stand up front here. And we have oil. And we're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. And we're going to invite you. We're going to invite you to come. You can come to any of us that are up here. And we're going to pray with you. We're going to anoint, anointing is just taking oil and as if you haven't been part of an anointing before and just placing it on your head and praying for your need. We ask that you, one, you just tell us your name. Tell us your name. Or if you're praying for, if you're coming as an intercessor for somebody else, tell us who you want us to pray for. We'll just anoint you. We'll pray. And then you can either go back to your seat or you can come up to the altar and pray some more. But we're going to spend this time doing what the scripture tells us to do, believing that God can, he will, but even if he doesn't, we're going to praise him and give him honor and glory. So let's stand together. And as we worship, know that God is a God, he's a healing God. He's a God that loves you and cares for you. And if you want to come for yourself, for others, please come. Tired 
Only on air. 
continue to come if you'd like as we will continue to pray. But as we go this morning, that wasn't quite the end of Peter and Acts. If you know, there's a couple books at the end of the Bible that bear his name. Written probably not long before he was facing death. He would have known that at times coming, the persecution was there. Nero was taking care of uh, everything he could do to quelch the Christian movement. But he wrote this in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. So at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries, all your cares to God. He cares for you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the very same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So that after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you and will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You're dismissed. Go in the peace, the love, and the grace of the Lord. If you'd like to come forward and pray some more with us, we'll be here.